Today we're I'm preaching about humility because I'm really good at it. There it is, right on. That was a very very bad joke, but I don't get paid for the jokes, so you get what you pay for. Um, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 18. See, last week we were in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse one, and we talked about being persistent in prayer, and not losing heart. And Jesus taught us through the example of an unrighteous judge and a, a widow what it means to be persistent in prayer. It's not that you're you've got a stick and Jesus is the pinata and you're going to uh, just beat him until he submits and bursts open with your prayers. Um, our God is not like that. That is what a, a child does to a parent, a spoiled child does to a parent, just beats them into submission until the child, or excuse me, the parent gives the child whatever they want just to shut them up. The the unrighteous judge answered the, the request of the widow, not because she needed it, but because he was done being pestered by her. And Jesus uses that contrast and says, look, see how this unrighteous judge answers uh, the request of this widow? How much better is God the Father? He's not like that unrighteous judge. He is the righteous judge. He will bring uh, justice and bring justice speedily. You know, as a Christian, we should desire justice. We should desire that things are made right. And today, in talking about humility and righteousness, justification or, or being made just uh, is all important when it comes to that. Luke continues. Now, one thing you have to understand about the book of Luke Luke uh, is investigating Jesus. He was hired by a man named Theophilus, a very wealthy man who, who sort of bankrolled this investigation by Luke. He, he paid Luke to go and find out about um, Jesus. So if you, if you read through, especially like the book of Luke, and you're like, you're reading these things about Mary, and you're like, well, how could Luke know that? You know, well, Luke most likely spoke to Mary and asked her, well, what about this and what about that? Because it was his job to find out. So you read, you know, there was one time where Jesus taught them how to pray and not lose heart. And then he gives the example of the parable. And then it moves on into another parable. It's a parable of two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Again, Jesus will teach us through a contrast, you know, comparing two things that are opposite to see the distinctions between the two. You know, you put up black and gray next to one another. And, you know, they kind of, they, they, they're different, but not, you know, it's subtle, but you put black next to white, and you see the, the white becomes more white, the black becomes more black. So Jesus uses that type of teaching, that contrast, to show us what it means to be humble. So turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. All right, Luke chapter 18, verse 9 says this. He also told, his, uh, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So right off the bat, Luke tells us what this next parable is all about. We don't have to guess. It's not a big mystery. Um, often we just read past verses too fast. We're in our devotional. We just want to get it done. And we miss simple instructions like this. There is a great danger in all cultures, all communities, all genders, all races, everything under the sun, to trust in one's own self. There is no quicker trap for Satan than reliance upon oneself. Now, in our country, we have celebrated, maybe not in recent years, but as a heritage, the idea of pulling up your bootstraps, getting things done, taking care of business, uh, songs written about it, 
uh, just you know, if it's gotta be, if it's gotta be, it's gotta be me. That's sort of the the mentality. And you know, for the most part, you know, that's that's not bad necessarily. I mean, getting up and working hard and things like that, that's a good thing. However, when you cross the line from I'm working uh, hard because that's what I should do to if I don't work hard. I won't survive, and if I don't do it, it won't happen, and, and it's all about me and self-reliance. Now you've crossed a line. You've gone from righteousness to self-righteousness. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says that our own righteousness hangs on us like filthy rags. That when we, when we boast of ourselves, it's like filthy rags hanging off of us. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. A lot of people caught in the trap of, if I just keep doing, God will approve me. And so standing before the Lord and saying, look at all the things I've done, doesn't make you approved by God. If anything, it distinguishes your sin even more. And that's what he's going to show us through this tax collector and Pharisee. It says in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." Let's pray. Jesus, your word is good and pure and perfect. It is infallible, and it is us, Lord, who are very much in danger of adding to or taking away from your word. We desire none of that today. We desire that your word, as challenging, as, as big, as um, confrontational as it might be today, Lord, we pray for all of it. We pray that, that you would not, not hold back, that you would give to us what we need today to move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So these two men, we get a very good picture, a very small glimpse about who they are, and we get this comparison of the two, and we get the approval of one and not the other. The first guy is the tax collector. Excuse me. The first guy is the Pharisee. And if you've read any of the Gospels, I mean just a couple of chapters, you realize quickly the Pharisees are always going to be a bad example. They're always the guys that are challenging Jesus. Not in a friendly, sparring, I need answers, what about this? It's always, I want to trap you and eventually kill you. Like that's the Pharisees' MO. They are just not happy with Jesus and how he is teaching the gospel or preaching the gospel. It's ruining their way of life and the system they've set up. You know, for the Pharisee, they have a place of exaltation. They are, they are the ones that everybody reveres. You know, they go to dinner and it's like, oh, uh, you know, whatever, John Pharisee, will you will you say the blessing over the dinner today? You know, oh, okay, I guess I will. You know, they're the guys that everybody goes to. When they speak, it's like, oh, the Pharisee spoke. You know, they have authority. Jesus comes in and just ruins all of that. What they have is this, this house of cards, and Jesus is just going continuously. It's all falling down. So the Pharisees naturally don't like Jesus because rather than repent of their sin, they would rather just build better houses of cards and hope that nobody would come around and knock them over. And so the Pharisee goes to the temple to pray. Now, in the contrast of this, we do get some similarities between the two. Both men have gone to the temple to pray. There's, there's a, a, an obedience there. You know, this isn't a church setting per se. 
Um, but most folks, when it's time to worship, they know where to go. It's not that they're uh, right or they get there in the right way, but they understand, you know, when people go through tragedy, most likely the next Sunday they're in church because they just know they've got to get, there's something wrong that's got to be made right. And it may not be like a result of a bad choice or they're not being judged or anything like that, but it's just instinctively that's that's where I need to go. Sometimes it's it's something that was trained up in them. They went to church as a kid and that's what they saw. Or they just don't know where else to go, so they go to the church. You know, we as the, the people of God, the body of Christ, so important to recognize people come in in that manner. And and they could have really bad theology. <laughs> they could have really bad doctrine. They may not believe that Jesus is Lord. They may not be saved in that sense. But we as the church, we have to uh, we have to be the example of Christ to them. We've got to show them uh, and and teach to them and share with them the importance of a Jesus that saves us in spite of our own actions. That we've all come from that place of tragedy and have all needed places or, or have all needed people to to comfort us, and we have found that here in the church. These men both go to the temple, and they both pray. They both communicate with God. You know, so praying and going to church are two pillars of our faith. These men are doing that. But that's pretty much where it ends, and that's where things start to go awry. The Pharisee, it's pretty black and white. We see his big problem. He's very full of himself. He's very much self-righteous. He's coming to God not, not in humility. He's coming to read his stat sheet to tell God how great he is. He is coming expecting the righteousness of, of himself to please the Almighty God. Jesus loves us, this I know. We, we know that. Jesus loves us. We're his children, all that good stuff. But honestly, what we bring to him is nothing brand new. This Pharisee and what he, do, what he had done, the fasting and the tithing, the external things, you know, he comes and just brags to the, look at what I've done. And in that, Jesus gives us an example of what it means to be self-righteous. This parable, a parable is meant to teach us something eternal by giving us something that is temporal. You know, they're not eternal. You know, we may not understand how the righteousness of God works when God just says, be righteous. But when he gives us an example of what that means, we go, oh, okay. It, it, it's not just meant to uh, teach us. It's also meant to, uh, in extending the grace towards people, there are some that will harden their hearts. It will harden their hearts. That grace of God to change and to repent will actually cause them to 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 grow deeper into their sin. And hopefully that leads them back to repentance. But uh, you look at men like Pharaoh who just would not let the, the Israelites go. It says because he hardened his heart at the grace of God. God kept saying, hey, let my people go. Or this will happen. Grace of God. He could have let them go. And those plagues would not have happened. Instead, hardened heart, plagues happen. I love the line... And I don't love it for the right reasons. I love the line where the, the, the Pharisee is standing and he's praying. He says, you know, I'm glad I'm not like these other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not an adulterer. And then he looks around and I'm not even like that guy. Like, can you imagine being in church? Like, we come up here for prayer and some guy's up here. He's like, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm not like him. I'm not, I, I don't do whatever he does. Like, just points you out and you're like, hey, man, like. I'm supposed to be your brother in Christ, and you're calling me out in front of everybody? Oh, it's a prayer request. Yeah, still, that's not cool, man. He just compares himself 
to other people and, and people in the room. Like for me, I'd just be like, wow, that's that's just messed up. You know, no wonder this tax collector stayed far away. Notice that the the Pharisee, he stood alone. One of the signs of someone who is self-righteous, um, it may not be the first sign, it may not be the strongest sign, but it's definitely there whenever you find somebody who wants to withdraw from relationships within the church. They start to look around, compare themselves to other people, see themselves as superior spiritually, morally, whatever way, and they start to withdraw because they just they just can't find the right church. They just can't find the right group. They just can't find the right people. It's this it's this self-exaltation. They'll never find anybody who is is good enough for them to be a part of. They'll never find a group where they fit in because they're so focused on themselves and the good that they do and how pleasing they are to God. And if they find other people like that, they're not going to want to be around each other. So they're going to always miss and go away and stray away from relationship. Sin has a way of doing that. You know, when people are self-righteous, sometimes we get called on it. Hey, what gives? Why are, you, why are you trying to get attention for all the stuff that you're doing? You know, God knows what you're doing. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand doing, all that stuff. You know, what gives? Well, sometimes people have this need to be exalted. So that people see them, so that people uh, worship them. And they never say, well, I want people to worship me. But that's what they want. It's dangerous. Religion, when you start to measure your relationship with Christ by what you do, you're, you're, you're running down the path of the Pharisee. And now something bad happens, and what do you say? God, I tithe! You know, I fast! Why are you doing this to me? God is sovereign. That means God's not limited by us. His only limits are the limits that he sets for himself. Things like not sinning. That's a limitation for God. It doesn't mean that he is limited. It just means it's something he does not do because it's contrary to who he is. So he won't do things like lie to you or steal from you. you know, he won't abuse you or abandon you. Then we've got the tax collector. Earlier in the in the book of Luke, we had a tax collector named Zacchaeus. And he was a bad guy. He wasn't bad in the sense that he'd probably hurt you. He was bad that he wanted to take your money. So if the government said you needed to pay, you know, five drachma for your taxes this week, he'd say, hey, give seven. That's what you owe. Okay. He'd keep two for himself. Give five to the government. Skimming off the top. It's a pretty good racket to have, right? I mean, he built up wealth really fast. And it was very broad. Lots of wealth. And then he meets Jesus, and he's convicted, and he's completely changed. Know this. If your life looks the same today or is worse than before you met Jesus, meaning meaning you drove deeper into your sin, meaning you 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 just didn't change at all, there was no significant marker that you met Jesus, something went wrong somewhere. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're, you're a bad person. What I'm saying is look back at your life and find out, have you really met Jesus? Because the men and the women of the Bible who meet Jesus go away completely changed. Every time. No exception to the rule. If they meet Jesus like the rich young ruler, they go away into their own stubbornness and their own sin. But even then they're changed because they've been challenged in their 
own thinking and their own way of life. But if you, the rich young ruler didn't walk away saying, hey, look, I'm a Christian now. He went away because Jesus challenged him and it was too much. So if your life has not changed, it looks the same as it did, you know, just start to question, Lord, ask the Lord, Lord, what's going on? What have I, what have I missed or, or where am I not giving attention to uh, this or that in my life where something needs to change? Just let it be a red flag where you, you know, self-examine and go to the Lord and say, hey, Lord, here I am. Just, just tell me, change me, use your word, still small voice, the church, whatever. Help me to not, you know, go down the wrong path like the Pharisee. Now, it would be wrong of us to look at the Pharisee like the Pharisee looked at the tax collector. We live in a culture that has a knee-jerk reaction. What that means is something happens and boom, instantaneously, somebody has a reaction because they've been offended and it's usually the polar opposite of the initial uh, action. So rather than finding the truth that's generally in the middle, they go from one end of the spectrum to the other. And so for us, we hear this, this Pharisee and our initial reaction is to do the polar opposite and look upon him and say, well, he's no good. He's the worst. He's, he's not approved of by God. He's not loved by God. We're just doing the same thing that the Pharisee did. And so don't, don't let that happen. Don't go all the way to that end of the spectrum. Stay right in the middle where you realize, okay, both these men realize they need righteousness. It's their pursuit of how to get it that is different and what is approved and what is not. And so we can't just simply look upon the Pharisee with contempt, although it's very easy, because Jesus' teaching was to not be self-righteous and filled with contempt for others. Our contempt for the Pharisee may be justified, but regardless of that justification, we're called to not be in contempt of them, to not welcome them, to not... Uh, to not disassociate ourselves with them because they ain't, they're not getting it right. Because it's the church through the teachings and through the, the leading of the Holy Spirit and God's word where people are going to see that. If, if we were holed up in a bunker somewhere, nobody would ever know about Jesus again without a miraculous move of the Holy Spirit outside of us. God has chosen us to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to, to show the world Jesus. The purpose of the parable is that we would not rely on ourselves, that we wouldn't look upon our achievements and our accomplishments, believe in our hearts and our minds that somehow we've gained a position with the Lord that entitles us to him and his kingdom and all that he has. Um, one of the biggest downfalls of my generation and the one after me is this sense of entitlement. That, ever, that the world owes me, that my job owes me, that my parents owe me, that my children owe me. You know, society, culture, Hollywood, video games, everything owes me. I'm the center. I'm the, I'm the one that everybody owes to. And it's, it's a trap. It's a noose around the neck. And I pray that the Lord would break us of that entitlement. Um, I don't know how it started. I'm sure there's lots of studies, and I don't know how it gets fixed. I just know that it's a problem that we need to pray about. This Pharisee has that same mentality. It's not a new mentality. No, it's been around forever. It's, it's entitlement. It's I, I deserve. It's self-worship. It's self-exaltation. And that's the danger of religion and living religiously. 
going beyond just Jesus is my Savior and through Him I have been saved to, to these things I've done accomplish so much that Jesus owes me now. And that's when things go wrong and then we're just we're shaking our fist at God because you know we put the coin in the slot, you know, it's our it's our prayer, our actions, and we didn't get what we wanted. Now we're shaking God like a like an eternal vending machine to get what we want. When in reality we're walking in sin. Romans three and nine says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already cha uh, charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. See, contextually in Romans 3, what, what Paul is arguing is the idea that the Jewish people, simply because they are Jewish, are saved. They can just be born into salvation. And Paul is challenging that. He's telling them, no, 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 that's not how salvation works. Yes, as a Jew, you're born into the people of God and, and you have sort of an inroad, if you will, but you still need to give your life to Jesus. Whether it be Jew or Greek, there is no difference, he says. Verse 10 says, excuse me, going back. No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside together, uh, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Great lie. But we are all inherently the children of God. What Paul has done here is he has said, no, there's no difference between Jew or Greek. And from before Jesus, the perspective of God to his people is this. We do not naturally seek after God. We naturally seek after uh, those that, will, that which will gratify the flesh. That's what we naturally look for. It takes an intervention of the Holy Spirit to change that. Self-righteousness starts from this perspective. It's dangerous and it leads you to a place where you're not only in sin, but no one wants to be around you. So, unless you yourself are self-righteous, like you're full of yourself, um, whenever you get around somebody like that, it's not usually a fun time. They're always talking. They're full of what, what's called humble brags. You know what a humble brag is? It's where you very humbly brag about yourself. So it's not really humble at all, but it sounds humble. And so when you see through that, you're like, ah, oh, they're talking about themselves again. And it's not so bad when it's the world because you expect that of them. But when it's in the church, it's like, man, you know, they're always exalting themselves. It's never about Jesus. It's always about them. And, I, and I've seen it across the country. I've seen it in multiple churches. It, it happens everywhere. No one is immune to it. I'm not immune to it. You know, when I do something, there's this natural deep-seated thing that wants everybody to know how great I did. You know, I did this. I did that. And I have to crucify that. And I have to pray to the Lord, Lord, crucify. That's not right. They don't get saved because they know me. They get saved because they know you. And so I, I have to crucify that feeling. And when I do go down that road, I have to repent. Say, Lord God, I can't believe I, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I let it get that far. I can't believe I thought I, I, I should exalt myself in there. You're the one who did all this, not me. Ah, it was just a joy to be a part of what you did. 
Now, once we know Jesus, this is not who we are. You know, for those of you who struggle with identity, I want you to know that's not you once you know Jesus. Jesus transforms you to where you're the opposite of that. Now you desire God. You're going after him. You're not, maybe not always winning, but there's a battle now that's happening where, where your flesh and your spirit are like, and, and the flesh wants one thing and the spirit wants Jesus. And, and now that's come alive inside of you. And there's this life of tension you now lead, uh, lead and live. And so you're no longer filled with you know, the venom of asps. Now you're being given a tongue that can praise Jesus and, 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 and encourage others and love others and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Notice that the Pharisee and the tax collector's prayers are different than, in, in length. You know, the Pharisee has a lot to say, even though it's just an example. The, the tax collector can't even get anything out. So he stands far off, he's beating his chest. Lord, look upon me mercifully, I'm a sinner. That's all he's got. Ecclesiastes 5 and 2 says, says, let your words be few before God. When Jesus talked about the Pharisees and their type of prayer in Matthew 6, he said, they think they're heard because of their many words. Just pray on and on and on and on and just, you know, just continue, continue to pray till God breaks, you know? And Jesus says, you don't know how to do that. God knows what you need before you even open your mouth. To me, this is uh, Matthew 6 and 2. It's like a life verse. What that means is, is for me, in my prayer, I'm always cognizant of that. Why am, I, why am I talking so much to God right now? Do I really think that if I just keep going, eventually he's going to cave? Is it that I just got a lot to get off my chest, so I'm talking a lot, not because I think it's going to change anything. I just, I just want to express myself. Or am I just going to let my words be few because the Lord already knows what I need? And so my prayer goes from, Lord, change these things to, to Lord, change me. You know, this person's going crazy. This is happening in the church. This situation is upon me. Lord, change me. Make me ready. Help me because I, I, uh, I can't do this without you. And I'm confident in leaving that there. I, Lord's heard me. And he might tell me, Tony, you're in this sin, or you need to stop that, or you need to go here, or you need to do this or do that. And, and, and I do, as best I can. You, your prayers are not answered because you said the right words, or said them in the right way, or you had the right you know, amount of them. Your, your prayers are answered because your Father in Heaven loves you. Because God heard you, and maybe you prayed something that was in agreement with His Spirit. And his will. And maybe he didn't answer you because you asked for something contrary to that. And through that, he's going to change you and refine you. And he's going to change your perspective. And, and you're going to grow as a result. Poor tax collector. You know, he's getting called out by the Pharisee. He came. Like, imagine we're in that place right now. And this is, this is the place where the tax collector, or excuse me, the Pharisee is. Tax collector's way back there. I can't even come to the altar. I know what I've done. I know how bad I am. I, that, that Pharisee's right. I, he's not like me. I, I am, I'm just a mess. I'm not even going to the altar. Yet it's that one that the word says that God lifted up and exalted. Consistently throughout the, 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 the Gospels, Jesus lifts up those who are low, and brings low those who exalt themselves. Pharisees, he's constantly knocking them down. 
you know, John the Baptist, Mary who washes feet with her tears and her hair, always lifting them up. Going to tax collectors' houses to eat, lifting them up. Oh, that's what Jesus does. He lifts up those who are low. If you're low today, and I mean, I can mean that in any sense of the word, you're just low. Come to the Lord and watch him bring you up. Watch him do something that changes you. Watch him do something that changes the circumstances of your life. You know, right now, maybe you're caught in the mundane every day. You're just buried under the burden. But there will come a time where all that lifts, and you will begin to see, oh, I think I see what the Lord is doing. And your life changes. Does that mean any, any of that was good? No. Does it mean that there was no pain? No, there was still pain. But I'm telling you, when the Lord brings you through that, you come out stronger. You come out exalted because Jesus has, has uh, risen, rosen, raised you up, raised you up. <laughs> Jesus has done it. You do it yourself? He's going to knock you back down again. But you humble yourself. You humble yourself through prayer and through surrender, as we sang this morning. Then the Lord brings us back up. The last verse he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, there's a verse, Ben and Mike are really smart. They probably know where it's at, but it talks about, I think it's in one of the Corinthians. Um, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You know, we have the opportunity now to do that now in humility. We bow and you know, we make ourselves low because we realize how big God is, how how great he is. But there'll come a time where those who have exalted themselves will have to do the same thing. And before the throne of God, they will bow their knee and they will confess that Jesus is Lord, but to the detriment. It, w it won't be a, a saving situation. It will be a recognition of the eternal God. And it will be too late for them at that point. So maybe you're like, well, what do I do next? It's real easy as a pastor and a preacher to just keep things in the ethereal. Like, you know, oh, just do this, just do that. And have no practical nuts and bolts things to do to change your life. Um, the good news about Jesus is that he's come to change your life. And... He's come to do more than just change your habits. I mean, there's plenty of books and stuff on the internet and hypnosis. I mean, you can do tons of things to change your habits. Jesus is, is in a business better than that. Um, he wants to change your heart. He wants to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He wants to write his commands on your heart, not just in your mind. He wants to change you. And so the first thing you've got to do since you, if you've recognized that today, if you've received that act of grace from the Lord, if you're sitting there going, yes, I, I do need to do these things, the Holy Spirit has opened you to receive that. Okay? If you're hardening your hearts, it's the same thing in the other direction. I would just encourage you, go back to your word, go in private time, pray, seek the Lord, and see what he would say to you. But for us who hear this message today, who realize, yes, I am self-righteous and, and, and what's worse is I hide it really well or at least we think we do the first thing we gotta do is repent repent is a response to grace 
Without the grace, there's no repentance. But since you've been given grace, now you can repent. Go, repentance is just going to the Lord, asking for forgiveness first, walking away. Repentance is hard sometimes. There's so much in our world that is sin, but yet is approved by the world, so we don't even feel the need to, to repent of it. Self-righteousness is one of them. So if you're self-righteous, meaning you rely on yourself and your actions to justify you before God, we need to repent today. If in comparing the Pharisee and the tax collector, you're more like the Pharisee, and just a spoiler alert, we're all the Pharisee. I wish we could all be the tax collector, but we tend to be more like the Pharisee, me and you and all of us. And we need to repent. We need to come to the Lord and simply just worship him and say, Lord, we're a big, hot mess. That's what Paul says. Oh, wretched man that I am, chief among sinners. What I, I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do. And what I know I shouldn't do, I always do. Wretched man that I am. And we find this, this Jesus that's not condemning. We find a Jesus who's not pointing a finger. We find a Jesus with his arms wide open to forgive us, to love us, maybe humble us, but to help us. And that's the Jesus that we need today, the Jesus of the Bible. So let's stand together. Let's pray together. Mike, if I could have you come up and just play. Um, if you'd like to come to the altar and pray, um, by all means, come on up. Um, I was raised in such a way to where the altar is a place of safety and comfort. Um, I am going to stand back just to, you know, because of the cold. I, wanna, I don't want to get off in your face, but I will pray for you. Uh, Lucy, Jen, if you want to pray for folks, please, by all means, Ben, Sarah, by all means, pray for folks. Um, but let's just, let's just seek the Lord. Amen? Father God, we praise you. Lord, we are all susceptible to the sin of self-righteousness, the, the reliance upon ourselves, the, the, the look of contempt upon our brothers and sisters in Christ or the world. And your word is pretty clear that oh, the, the, the Pharisee is not the position we want to be in. It's the tax collector who came to you in the right manner. Lord, we are sinners. Even if we've been saved, even if we've been in church for years, we're sinners. And sometimes it's by choice, sometimes it's by nature, sometimes we just fall right into it. And Lord, whatever reason we fall, whatever reason we find ourselves in that self-righteousness, Lord, we crucify it today. Oh, we thank you for the grace that you've extended to us so that we could even repent today, Lord. I thank you that no matter what we've done, your love has not run from us, that your love is not withdrawn from us. If anything, you seek us all the more. Your word says that you leave the 99. You, you, you keep them safe to go after the one who has strayed. Your word says that all, like sheep, we've all strayed. So I pray today, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, change us, Lord. I pray that today would be a moment where we could start to look back on our life and see the difference between this self-righteousness and the righteousness that comes from you. Your word says that you 
came and that you died and conquered sin and death so that we might become the righteousness of God. That you made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That we might become righteous, not in our own selves, but in you. The only righteousness that meets the standard that you have. So I pray today, Lord, help us. And in the idea of letting our words be few, Lord, we'll leave it there. Church, just take a moment. Just reflect. The Lord expects a response from you. He expects a response to his word. And so let's take some time to just pray and be silent before the Lord. Corinthians 5 and 21 says for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and so church today all we encourage you to do all I all I preach to you today is turn your eyes upon Jesus look to him find your completeness in him be loved by him be made whole by him you can't run one direction and expect Jesus to follow you or, or your eyes to not be focused on that thing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Father God, we praise you today. I thank you that 
you've taken us from being a Pharisee to making us more like the tax collector. And we don't look upon the, the Pharisee in contempt, Lord. He needs righteousness. We need righteousness. I pray today, Lord, that we are made right in your eyes. We are made right before you because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we can do. And may that fuel all that we do, Lord. May we seek to do good because you have made us good. May we seek to, to help others or to do for others because you have done for us. We praise you, Lord. May you be glorified and exalted. May you humble us if need be. And help, Lord, just change our world. In your name we pray. Amen.